Well, you see, folks, back in 2009, there were rumours of Formula 1 having a breakaway league where all the teams would break away from the sport, start their own league and create a revolution of sorts. In 2022, that hasn't quite happened. But don't be fooled. It's only us commoners who can't quite see it. In reality, Ferrari have broken away and they have started their own league. It's a league of how to consistently disappoint yourself and end up finding new and more creative ways to end up losing a race. It's, it's just that we've not been illuminated and not been enlightened by that same thing. But now we can see clear as daylight that Ferrari are leading this championship and they're doing an amazing job. But jokes aside, credit where it's due. Red Bull Racing were fantastic on Sunday. Not this weekend as a whole, but the way they pulled the race back for Max Verstappen was incredible. And that is what we're going to discuss on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast for our Hungarian Grand Prix review my name is Samuel Arora. I'm the host of the Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar, joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, who works as an FIA accredited journalist for the Viaplay network across the world. But Kunal, now, for this breakaway league, we know that Ferrari are first. I just can't seem to figure out who's second because it seems like it's a breakaway league with only one team. Thank you very much, Samuel. I personally believe Ferrari are all alone in their league of strategy errors in their league of i guess reliability in in everything that they do they are just so unique i mean they were on the hards ha 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 that's what lewis hamilton did in the cool down room just that his laughter was much natural than mine i have you know ferrari fans who have actually written in uh Nityanand said, I am done with this season. 2020 and 2021 were less painful. Utkarsh has said, everybody is a Ferrari fan, but Scuderia Ferrari are actually Red Bull Racing fans. I mean, yes, there is a lot of lighthearted banter in all of this. And then, you know, Matteo Benotto, his quote after the French Grand Prix stands true. He said, there's no reason why we can't get a 1-2 in Hungary. And there's no reason why we can't win the rest of the 10 races, 10 races, including Hungary. I mean, (laughs) that's another league of his own, you know, in terms of making predictions, in terms of making statements, in terms of backing themselves up. I I have, I mean, yes, we know what went wrong. Let's let's just reiterate that. Ferrari have a quick car. Yes, they do. Did they read the tires wrong yesterday? Yes, they did. He admitted, he being Benotto, that... They missed their simulation gave wrong information about the hard. They they thought that uh, the hard would actually go better over a thirty lap stint, even if the first few laps were actually spent warming up the tire. But hey, that was what the computers were saying. You know, Kevin Magnussen and the Alonzos were real life references that Ferrari apparently didn't see. Sommel and I've just spoken for fifteen minutes of this opening introduction because oh my goodness, what did we just see in Hungary? Seriously, it's like a life lesson in itself. Don't always trust the screens. Look up and look around you. Maybe infer things from that. Maybe try to understand what's going on. But there's this particular uh, phrase in Hindi that comes in my mind, and I'll translate it very quickly. It's called Zindagi Jhandwa Firbi Ghamandwa, which means even though your life is absolutely ruined, you still have that pride and arrogance, which seems to be the case with Ferrari. When Benotto actually came out at the end of the race and said, no, 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 it wasn't the strategy that went wrong hear me out. It wasn't the strategy that went wrong. It was actually the performance of the car that was the issue. So I I tried to think about that and I, I've only made half of it 
I can only make sense of half of it because at the end of the day, it clearly deciphers into the fact that, oh, well, even if we had boxed Leclerc at the right time, that is, along with Carlos Sainz towards the end, and even if we had put him on the right tyres, which were the soft compounds, we still wouldn't have had the pace because Sainz quite clearly was being outlapped by Mercedes' Lewis Hamilton. So it begs the question, are Mercedes now fighting with Ferrari for second place in the title? But we should answer that after a quick break. So we'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. We were on the subject of discussing Ferrari and now our Mercedes back in the fight. And now are they potentially the two genuine contenders for second place, not for first? I think we could discuss that in a little bit more depth. But first, I think, Kunal, we should go to rating this particular race. And how would you rate it? It, it seems like an old school strategy classic in a way. It was absolutely one of those strategy masterclasses, you know. Hannah Schmitz and the entire team that she represents uh, at Red Bull Racing, helmets off to them. I mean, you know, we speak pretty much every now and then of how Adrian Newey is designing these cars that's helping Max Verstappen win titles and races and likewise. And when I say titles, I know he has won title. The way we've spoken of how Ross Braun engineered and built all those cars that helped Michael Schumacher win those titles. I think Hannah Schmitz deserves... Uh, a special reference in the same light, in the same uh, manner, with the same respect for driving all these strategy decisions that have won Max Verstappen the race. I mean, you know, starting P10 with the power unit issue, which Red Bull didn't really, uh, you know, tell him much about on the radio, understandably, they were looking to limit damage. Little did they know limiting damage would have meant that pulling yet another, I don't know, I don't even know how many points on on Charles Leclerc is is what would happen. It was, it was incredible. I mean, Max uh, was so quick that he could actually afford a mid-race spin, which Christian Horner, by the way, joked, saying it was just, he was just warming up his tires because, you know, the temperatures are actually very cold. But he could afford a mid-race spin and still go on and win the race. He overtook Charles Leclerc twice, or he just drove past Charles Leclerc twice, twice actually, Samuel. Yeah, he's making up for Austria, literally. Yo, you overtook me thrice, now I'll get back at you. But the spin and wedge strategy isn't quite the most, uh, let's say, it isn't quite a new revolution in a way because it's been done before by Max Verstappen. Remember, 2019, a German Grand Prix as well. He had a bit of a spin, ended up winning that race. But unlike that one, he didn't start very slowly over here. And also, historically, by Danny Sullivan in Indy 500. That was way back in 1985. A classic race, that one as well. And Verstappen kind of emulating that. But the fact is, Kunal, the strategy here was absolutely amazing. And I suppose Red Bull Racing did get all their... Uh, did get all their calls correct. But also in the case of Ferrari, and especially I want to talk about George Russell firstly, because I think he comes out as the first major candidate to win this race. It was not that they made the wrong calls, it seemed. It it was just that the, the circumstances that the race played out and just went away in their favor. I mean, let's say for Russell, he had to start on the soft compound tires, otherwise he would have been swallowed up by the Ferraris at the start because Mercedes obviously don't quite have the same potential of warming up their tires quite clearly. But because of that, they were boxed into this two-stop strategy and boxing slightly earlier, which meant that towards the very end, they barely had the pace. And so is that why George Russell couldn't quite end up winning his first ever Formula 1 Grand Prix after an amazing qualifying? That's a very good question, Samuel. Why could George Russell not join the illustrious list of first-time race winners at Hungary despite having a mega lap to pole on Saturday, right? Now, 
George Russell actually said, and Mercedes confirmed this as well, that Mercedes decided to split their tire strategies between both the drivers. So they used the same compounds, just the uh, the sequence in which they used the compounds were different. So George started on the softs, which gave him a fantastic uh, start off the line, as we saw at the opening uh, stints of the race. And Lewis decided to take the medium. So George did the soft, medium, medium. Lewis did the medium, medium, soft, right? And uh, it so turned out that Lewis's strategy was actually more beneficial uh, to, to sort of get ahead of George, even though he started lower down in seventh, right? And one of the other things that George also pointed out was the late race drizzle that we saw actually cooled down the medium compound a little more and that's why he was struggling right and then obviously george was up there fighting in the front with the ferraris with the with the uh with the red bulls uh, after they sort of caught up so he was using his tires up a lot more so he ran out of tires tire life in his stints he had to pit much earlier and of course he was pitting as a reaction to some of the drivers around him as well so so as to not get undercut Sommel so it was just how things played out but George just drove a fantastic uh, race and even more so brilliant qualifying on uh, Saturday. Yeah, exactly. He was superb. And about the question of Mercedes, I suppose it'll be better answered when we come to Hamilton in a second, because of course we have to talk about the entire team and their pace. But I think we should come back to the guy right behind him, not right behind him, but two points behind him after qualifying. That was Charles Leclerc. And at that stage, Kunal, after the first pit stop, it really felt like the entire win was gone because, yes, we did see Leclerc passing Russell just before that first pitch stop. And we thought, OK, well, now things are in control. Now, finally, Leclerc can go out there, settle in, go on the right strategy and eventually end up winning this race. But quite clearly, boxing on the hearts was just not right. And I know we have uh, had enough banter about this at the very start, about how starting on the hearts was just absolutely not the right thing to do in the race. But for Ferrari, I'm surprised that they didn't look around. And had they not had the hearts, do you reckon they would have had the pace to eventually get on and perhaps challenge Max Verstappen? Because at the end, Sainz had a similar strategy, went on the soft, but even still could not have any pace. And he eventually got passed by Lewis Hamilton. So that gets me a bit perplexed. Is, Is Ferrari really in this? Or did they just have a terrible weekend switching on the compounds all around? I think Ferrari, like, you know, Toto Wolff said that they lost the race in Friday's free practice. They were so dominant there. And what actually happened between Friday and Sunday was the temperatures literally start were dropping with every passing session, right? So Ferrari just misread the the how the temperatures would affect the tires. And that's what, you know, Mercedes actually did really well. Uh, both drivers of, uh, both Mercedes drivers actually turned around and said, oh, we just went out on the outlap and we could sense it within turns one, two, and three that the tires were switched on and we were able to sort of, you know, uh, keep the car where we wanted to keep it. So I guess Ferrari actually misread how the tires would perform with the with the entire uh, temperatures get you know with temperatures cooling through the weekend sommel. And to put it bluntly, yes, Ferrari actually did not have the pace this weekend in race trim, right? Because if we were to look at it this way, Carlos Sainz literally had the same strategy as Lewis Hamilton. But he, he, he nowhere looked as lethal as Lewis Hamilton. Sainz did a medium, medium, soft, just as Lewis Hamilton. But he wasn't in the reckoning. He, 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 was, he was running, but he was not really running for podium positions, right? And Leclerc, oh my goodness. Could he have won the race? You know, he was starting from 
the second row. He was not the happiest after qualifying. The question has to be asked, could he have won the race? And the reason why we're asking that question is also because, you know, he was, uh, he needs, he needed to win the race, put to, put to put it as simply, right? But I believe even if they would have had their strategies correct, they probably just didn't have the performance in the car. And that's probably why Ferrari are not questioning the strategy as much, as much as they are questioning the, the you know, the pace that was lacking in their car, Samuel. But if that's the case, I suppose it raises an even bigger question that if strategy isn't a problem and it is still that bad, well, how bad is the car space then in that particular case? And is it just a one-off or is it something that will be sustained over the course of the entire season? But I suppose it's unlikely that the latter will happen because there is still some chance for upgrades. Half of the season is still left to go. So it's really hard to tell where Ferrari actually stand. And luckily for Oskar it's hard to tell where every team stands at this particular moment because one weekend, it seems like Mercedes are completely hopeless. The next weekend, they come back. Now, Red Bull, we know, are are stable at the top, but we don't know if they are the fastest or the not or not. So it kind of leads into a more interesting second half of the year. But I want to focus specifically on Mercedes because we, we are seeing signs of improvement. But I don't know, there's a sense of conservatism that kind of kicks in and says, well, hang on a minute, this could just be all the conditions aligning. Where do you stand on this side of the debate? Do you think this is a permanent not, not a permanent, definitely. Nothing is permanent in Formula 1, but a more sustained increase in performance or was it just a one-off? Because if it was, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because Hamilton and Russell were phenomenal this, this Sunday because even after everything that happened on Friday and Saturday, they were able to actually adjust quite well and pull out such a great performance. So uh, we just all want to see them do better. You know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting question because uh, it was tight, twisty and bumpy. But the Mercedes cars were not talking or bottoming or porpoising, something that, you know, literally bothered them in the many, many races before in the season. My view, and I think, again, Mercedes was also alluding to it, was that a lot of their performance gains were primarily due to the temperature at the circuit. Mercedes was just very, you know, they, they were very, uh, they could they could bring their tires and hence the car into the working window with far more ease than at any other race of the season, which is why they looked very lethal, right? And uh, that was also something that I believe caught uh, the Ferrari out in the opposite direction because, you know, question from Dave, was there a chance Leclerc could have won, you know, after Max overtook him for the second time? I do not think so. I think the Ferraris were just genuinely lacking pace. And enough of Ferrari. Yes, they were on the hards, laugh about it, and then look forward to the summer break, I would say. And let's also let's also ask why was uh, Mercedes actually in the fight? Now, the, the, the Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying session was actually when, for the first time, both, uh, both Red Bull cars were out of sequence, which is where the Mercedes cars were, you know, sort of having the faster cars at the back starting. And then, of course, George Russell was out of sequence getting his pole position as well. So, uh, you know, Mercedes were benefiting from a very good qualifying, despite them saying that they have a better race car than a qualifying car. And out here, can we also ask the question, could Lewis Hamilton have won the race had he not had the DRS issue in qualifying. And in my view, I don't believe he had the pace to win, but he would have genuinely been in the fight for victory had he started further up uh, against Max Verstappen because he was really strong in his race pace, undoubtedly so. 
And that was fascinating to watch. And I suppose we will get more concrete answers when we get back after the summer break. And yeah, it's actually hard to believe that the summer break is also on. So yeah, that's also a tricky, tricky part to actually digest apart from Ferrari's errors. But enough on that. I want to focus on Max Verstappen because yes, we have spoken about for about uh, how Red Bull Racing were pretty good at the strategy, but we didn't quite discuss the particulars of it, about what just did they do right eventually to get that win. And also, what would have happened had Verstappen not had his power unit issue in Q1, uh, in, in qualifying, I mean to say. I mean, quite clearly that would have meant that Red Bull Racing would have won it because the pace quite clearly was there. Strategy-wise, they were also spot on. But specifically on Sunday, Kunal, I was very intrigued by the fact that Red Bull were able to make all the other teams react to them, particularly Mercedes and Ferrari. And that, I think, was the key point because ideally, Verstappen was so far back at at the very start uh, and the way he made up his places was great. But ideally, he would have expected his position to be something that would concern uh, that would kind of ease off the pressure on Mercedes and Ferrari a little bit that, okay, he's so far back, we can focus on our own race. But the fact that he was able to close up so quickly kind of delivered that pressure onto them, which meant that they reacted and Red Bull Racing were able to kind of sweep the race all into their own blanket. Because had Mustapen been further off, I don't think other teams would have reacted in the same way. They would have probably gone longer and Russell and Leclerc could have had a more realistic chance of winning, perhaps. The first thing we need to remember, Red Bull actually considered starting the race on the hard tyre. Okay, but they use the reconnaissance laps to actually try the hard compound to realize that, oh my God, this is definitely not the compound to start the tire on. So Red Bull had effectively used the reconnaissance laps to rule out the hard compound at the start of the race. And then, you know, probably they would have looked at the other teams before deciding whether or not to do that. But yes, they were able to go aggressive like they always have been with tire strategy. I mean, their uh, their tire strategy is masterclass we've spoken about this but moving on to another point was had max verstappen not had the power unit issue in qualifying there's a very high chance he would have been starting up front either on pole or on the front row alongside george russell or one of the ferraris right and maybe then the hungarian grand prix might not have been as much of an interest one of the reasons why it was so interesting is barring checo perez Literally every driver could have won the the race. And when I say every driver, I mean either of the two Mercedes drivers or at least at the start, either of the two Ferrari drivers as well because they were front-running uh, drivers as well, right? So the question was, oh my God, was that really a five-driver battle for the race win? And uh, that's what also spiced up. So had uh, you know Max Verstappen qualified up ahead and you know not had his power unit issue, maybe the Hungarian Grand Prix wouldn't have been as much fun. Yeah, it could possibly have been that case. And in a way, it helps out as well because Red Bull Racing now have converted a damage limitation race into something more positive. But here's a question uh, that, that, that I've got, actually. Uh, is It's actually strange, isn't it? When Lewis Hamilton was dominating, everyone was getting bored. When Sebastian Vettel back in the day was dominating, everybody was getting bored. Same with Michael Schumacher. In a way, domination is boring, but... Why aren't people complaining about Verstappen winning everything there is, even though he's kind of doing it in the same in the same fashion that Hamilton and Schumacher have been doing in the past? Because now that that gap is what eighty points between Verstappen and Leclerc, it's unlike anything we've ever seen in this particular hybrid era, uh, uh, barring the Mercedes days, which means only one year. But hell, I, I mean to say, it's it's not something we've been accustomed to with someone like Red Bull since the early twenty ten. So. 
it's strange that people are not complaining and it's good in a way because we get to see a more positive outlook towards the races in a way i think it's the nature in which max verstappen is able to win his races like you know he's of course had eight wins out of the 13 races this season and that is incredible a number but you know he's he's been challenged in the early parts of the season it was leclerc who was challenging him for race wins i know it was a long time back but remember the the drs duels in jeddah and then the battles they had in bahrain and so on so it's the nature in which max has dominated this season that people are actually not complaining just yet i mean like i said a few minutes ago there it was literally a five car battle for the race win at some point in hungary now i can't remember when through the fettel or the schumacher or the hamilton eras they actually had five cars battling for the race win now this is where a lot of people are going to write bin and remind me of races but yeah i mean if this if this is the kind of domination uh, where we are still getting exciting races i don't mind it if this is the kind of domination where reliability is still playing a part in the season i don't mind it i mean as long as the races are entertaining sombel i'll be the last one complaining <laughs> same But let's hope that Ferrari don't end up becoming the team with the honor of having the best car ever not to win the world championship because I think it's hard to really think of other great Formula 1 cars who haven't quite won the championship in the same way. I mean when you when you think about it, the 2021 Mercedes they don't really count because they won the constructors world championship. What else actually comes to mind? Ferrari 2008, yes that was also a great car, but then again it was just not not as not as fantastic across the sessions as this particular Ferrari has been and well it's strange that they're not quite able to convert it into big big victories but yeah really interesting and i'm just wondering at the end of the day here's a question from Karthik and it's also got me thinking quite a fair bit did max's spin eventually end up costing sergio perez a podium he was blocked by verstappen coming into that spin russell overtook him and then he was boxed for new tires until then he seemed like he was going for a one stopper and it's right you know because on this discussion about verstappen strategy and red bull doing a great job i was also thinking about before recording this episode well why couldn't sergio perez do something similar even though he was just one position behind and it's this question from karthik that's really got me thinking but don't don't really think that would have had a major impact no knol because only a couple of seconds here and there the way sergio perez finished at the end i think there was far more time to be made up certainly did help but i guess there was more pace to be won just by the driving aspect of it so it's just a minor blip in the way isn't it so first things you know for checo perez and uh, christian horner both believed that the vsc that came towards the end part of the race actually hampered Checo's progress. They believe that Perez would have had Sainz and maybe even George Russell uh because he's finished 1 second behind Sainz and 3 seconds behind George Russell. So he had uh, a better pace towards the end. Uh he was on younger tires if that's the way to put it. His tires were 3 laps younger than George Russell's. Uh but eventually I you know I wouldn't be surprised uh, uh if in the middle stint at least when max was trying to catch up and fight with the the red bulls and sorry fight with the ferraris and actually more so the mercedeses if they kept out perez a couple of laps extra just to give you know give mercedes a bit of a headache with having another car to battle with so we've used we've seen this before you know how they've strategically used perez so it was after a point like can we just get max to the front part of the grid and then see where checo is able to climb back on but could he have been on the podium 
I believe so, had there been a cleaner race, especially towards the end with the VSC and so on. Uh, but again, an incredible uh, recovery from him from P11 to P5. And maybe he could have been higher had 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 the VSC not happened towards the end somehow. And yet it doesn't seem to hamper him as much in the broad scheme of things because now Sergio Perez is just five points behind Charles Leclerc in terms of the championship. He's actually third, Leclerc is second. And now he's got five po- he's got six podiums, which is one more than Charles Leclerc so far this year. Again, another big thing. And in terms of the championship battle, Red Bull Racing Canal, 97 points ahead of Ferrari. That is crazy. And also, the second part of this particular stat that has to come in, Mercedes now have the same number of podiums as Ferrari have this year. Of course, four less wins, but the same number of podiums, only 30 points behind. Wow. Would you have ever imagined something like this, folks? But actually, we've got more stuff to talk about as well. All of that will be done after a short break. So stay right here. Hey, folks. Welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. We've folks. We've folks ah, I'm sorry. We've spoken enough about the strate- strategic errors that Ferrari made, much like the error that I made a second ago. Well, m- mine was a bit, a bit worse than that. But we should speak also about the midfield and all the games that were played over there. Because, yes, it wasn't quite in the primary view throughout. But Alpine and McLaren had a very interesting battle that could have great connotations for throughout the rest of the season. Because now we could potentially see a two-way fight for this fourth place in the World Championship because Alpine, yes, they made a big blunder in terms of getting out of the hard compounds canal, but McLaren genuinely showed a great ton of pace, yet it seemed like both didn't quite show the ultimate potential that they had because both of them were frustrated by it, yet the results were kind of more in McLaren's favour. So it's kind of created a new Pandora's box in a way where we open up and see what could potentially be the mix for the midfield throughout the year because that's been one area that's been missing, right? But Alpine dominating that particular part of the game so much. It uh, it seemed like the results were in McLaren's favor, but the two points, the two teams scored the same number of points, and that is what got Fernando Alonso pleased enough, I would say. And interesting approach by both the teams. So uh, Lando Norris uh, uh, and Daniel Ricciardo were on a two-stopper, whereas the Alpines committed to a one-stopper really early on in the race itself. And uh, I believe that Daniel Ricciardo finishing in 15th was of course you know it was exaggerated by the time penalty he had but uh, it's a very very surprising result and a very very surprising uh, performance because he was right up there in the battle along with Lando till the round of pit stops and then you know he he said that after he put on the hard tire he literally had no grip and you know when he had that incident with Stroll he said that I wasn't even battling him he said I had no grip to just you know, drive the car around. I was slipping and sliding all around. So it was a bit unfortunate that, you know, Daniel, who of course qualified by well and was literally up there in the race, couldn't get the tires to work the way they should, uh, just the way Lando Norris did. And in case of the Alpines, they were the only drivers, both the drivers finishing eighth and ninth, they were the only drivers to actually make the one stop work in the in the race on Sunday. And uh, I, I I believe at there was one point of time when I'm like, oh my God, the Alpines are going to just fall off because the Aston Martin cars were actually very quick in in uh, trying to overtake them throughout. And actually, Alpines finished ahead because of the one stopper, but only just ahead. I mean, Fettel was a tenth and a half behind Ocon uh, at the finish line. 
And uh, last race, you guys remember, Lance Stroll took 10th from Vettel uh, in the dying moments of the race. This race, Vettel returned the favor by taking 10th from Lance Stroll in the dying moments of the race, Samuel. Yep, that was the reverse at the very end. And that was a very great fight that actually ended up being missed out quite a little bit. And and I wished we would have seen more of it. But it was interesting that Aston Martin also showed a decent bit of pace in comparison to what they had previously. But yeah, let's just wait and see if their upgrades really work out eventually. But well, the upgrades that didn't seem to work out as well, Kunal, were the ones with Haas. Because as we discussed early on in the preview for this particular race, we said that, oh, there's a great reason to look out for Kevin Magnussen because he had the new parts on the Haas. But there's also this air of, uh, air of conservatism that you have to take into account because upgrades don't always work as upgrades, right? The intention is always to get the car better, but sometimes the cooler, cooler conditions might not work or you might end up getting the wrong setup or you might end up being in the midfield and you don't get enough clean running or something or the other that doesn't quite allow you to unlock the most out of them. And seemingly that was also the case with him this weekend. So just a big, just a big mixed match and we, we don't quite know where everyone stands over there. Kevin Magnussen was actually the first driver to take on the hard tyres. And he took it on really early because he had, you know, damage from the opening laps as well. And that's what sort of done did them in. Mick Schumacher had the same thing. He went from the medium to the hard, trying to make a one-stop work, only to realise that the hards were absolute shit and not working out at all. And Carlos Sainz actually made a very interesting judgment. He said, actually, all the tyres at the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend were actually really bad. And I suspect that a lot of this was primarily because of uh, the temperature uh, that we saw, which was much cooler than we've normally seen at the Hungarian uh, Grand Prix Sommel. But uh, there's just one point I have to make about uh, Max Verstappen. You know, we, of course, have spoken about how he's spun and won before and he's spun again. Max Verstappen actually made an error when not under pressure, right? We really need to keep Max Verstappen under pressure. I hope that when we come back from the summer break, and when I mean we, I mean Formula One, because you and I are going nowhere in the summer break, right? So I hope when we come back from the summer break, Ferrari are able to regroup and make sure that they claim some points back because 80 points seem almost impossible to claw back in a driver's championship battle against a Verstappen, against a Red Bull Racing. Yeah, they're just in a league of their own. It's like 2013, but in reverse, where we have multiple te- and two teams starting off with contention, and then we end up with just one. In 2013, it was quite the opposite. We started off with three and ended up with two towards the very end, and then just became one with Red Bull Racing. But let's hope we just have a good, good year ahead. But the summer break, yes, good that you mentioned that, Kunal, because we have... So much to look forward to here on the Inside Line F1 podcast. Firstly, we are going to continue our Force India Archives series, the one that you absolutely love, folks. And we are going to have one more episode coming in, one really special one with more stories about the team and how it actually worked back in uh, back behind the scenes over there. Then we also have Michael Italiano, Daniel Ricciaro's physiotherapist and physical trainer, along with us here on the Inside Line F1 podcast for a very special interview and along with that, we should ideally be also con- uh, continuing with our F1 Explain series here on the podcast as well. So a lot of things to look forward to. But last but not the least, once we come back, there will be some race watch-along sessions 
Muttin Sarkline F1 podcast and a legendary F1 commentator also beginning. So that comes up after the summer break. So for more information about that, just stay tuned on all of our social media platforms and you can check them out down in the description below. But folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us, not just on this particular episode, but also across this first half of the season. And see you then, folks. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and let you stay updated with all of that. But thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. See you, folks. Have a good time. Bye-bye.